and welcome to the Marvel Wrap, a 20-part podcast where we go through the chronological Marvel Cinematic Universe movies in preparation for Avengers Endgame in April. Uh, my name is Simon Collum. I'm a writer, I'm a podcaster, I'm a fan of the MCU, but we've got the Doctor, Sabina. <laughs> how, how are you doing, Sabina? Hello, I'm good, thank you. How's it going? Very good, very good. Saw Glass. Oh, how how was it? Was it? Okay. it was okay. It was okay. Yeah, <laughs> we won't get into that today. <laughs> we won't get into that because <laughs> it's a podcast. Is it's, it's, yeah, it's a Marvel yeah. podcast, of course. But we do have also Amon, the comic book man himself. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. A little bit offended now. Sabina got nice and singing, and I just got Amon. What's, what's, what's up? What's up with that? What's up with that? I'll save it. I'll save it for another. It's episode. your turn next okay. week. I'll, 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 I will keep this in mind, Simon, and I won't remind you. I just expect it, so you better come with it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, uh, we are on Twitter, at Marvel Rap, and, and I, I must say, uh, we've been tweeting bits and bobs here and there in the last week, so do uh, do follow us. Um, and you can email us at marvelrappodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes, too, so, you know, write a review if you're if you Big if you're time. We're big, big time now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Making it count. <laughs> so this week is the London episode, which is about Thor: The Dark World, uh, which uh, which seemed to pretty much be set in London by the by, by, by for the vast majority of it. Um, and then we've also got some further episodes of Shield, Agents of Shield, that take place straight after the events of Thor: The Dark World. So we've got all that to look forward to. Okay, so Thor: The Dark World, the London episode. So we're talking Thor The Dark World and on Wednesday the 30th of October 2013 it was released. It took $645 million at the box office worldwide so it wasn't really getting the same type of money Avengers Assemble and Iron Man 3 got um, and it had Alan Taylor from Game of Thrones on board to direct. Amon, how were you about this? Were you excited? How were you like going into Thor The Dark World? I was excited about this one. Uh, the trailers looked exciting. Um, I, was excited, I was excited to see uh, Thor back again. He's a character who had grown on me even more since I first sort of saw him in his first movie. Um, and I was really excited to return to Asgard uh, again, um, not, not only just for his story, but uh, to see the continuation of Loki's story. At the end of Avengers, we see Thor taking Loki back to Asgard. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot to look forward to. Uh, in this movie, and I remember really enjoying it the first time I watched it, but every ever since I've returned to it, um, I've liked it a little less on repeat viewings. Um, I do think, um, you know, when you sort of compare this movie to the other two Thors, this is the weakest Thor movie of them all, but again, it's a movie I still enjoy watching. Um, there's a lot to like about it. Um, there's some really cool action beats. So it's, a, it's a movie full of really clever touches, actually. Um, there's some really cool action beats in the final act. Um, as you know, I'm a big fan of Mjolnir. Hey, it's, it's Mjolnir. Rest in peace. Um, and uh, there's some really, really cool bits uh, with Thor's signature weapon. It's Mjolnir. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure we will get into uh, 
there are many issues, fundamental issues, which sort of um, mean the film can't ascend to the heights of um, sort of the really, really, really great stuff in the MCU. It is great to think with Thor The Dark World, you have this, like, rare, like with, like with Iron Man 2. I mean, a film which isn't necessarily great, you generally just don't really come back to. Uh, but now, we, because it's part of the MCU, we all rewatch them in preparation of the next big one, you know, and all that type of thing. So you constantly reevaluate your position. But of course, in this case, your, your opinion on it has actually gone down. Um, Sabina, what about you? Thor The Dark World. You know what? I kind of, I can't help wondering what would have happened if Patty Jenkins had directed this one. She was originally slated to direct this one. Um and I just think we probably we would have got a hell of a different film, obviously, um, for many reasons. Um, yeah, this one, as Amon said, it's it's probably the flattest one. It just doesn't it doesn't sort of have that draw that the other the other ones in the Thor like take Thor as a trilogy um, have. Um, there are bits that are very funny. Don't get me wrong, but it just there are issues with the plot. Um, but then there are also some nice touches, like with there's a nice you know, I like that they kind of um, it's the first of the Thor films when you you kind of get a side of Loki that's completely different in this one, and you it Loki has a lot more fun, and there's a lot more, it just seems better rounded in many ways. Um, there's there's a lot of low you know there's a lot of Loki and and I like what they've done there, but apparently this is this um is the because of um the brilliant Cat Dennings her dialogue in the film enabled the film to pass the special test the Bechtel uh. test sorry because obviously she's talking to to Jane um, Natalie Portman's character and they're having these in depth like astrophysical physics conversations that yeah so it's a nice it's a nice little touch you think to yourself like i mean i at this stage when i've watched all the marvel films i was still of the mindset that marvel's great and all but it's just fun and games really you know what i mean and i know we've talked about deeper issues in some of them and i think iron man 3 tries to and it does to some extent but ultimately the priority is fun and games that is the priority of of the film I, i feel later on I mean, there's a reason Black Panther is Oscar nominated, put it that way. Um, mm. But I think, you know, at this stage, they were just making these entertaining films. Um, but then you think to yourself, you imagine if Rebecca Hall was the villain in Iron Man 3, how that would have changed how we see that. For sure. Film, especially with the other stuff with regarding him and in addition to Rebecca Hall as the villain um, and in a much wider role. And then think about Paddy Jenkins directing Thor The Dark World. Mm. I can imagine these decisions and whoever's decided to get rid of a, these, the, you know, the, making make these changes stopped uh, the MCU from being a bit more progressive earlier on. Yeah, I feel that if Patty Jenkins had taken the reins, we would have had a lot more of Sif. We would have had... Um, Natalie Portman wouldn't have been as because even though she's got it, still feels very you know that it you know they could have done so much more with her, and she just feels more of a background character in this one. Um, and you know, you you sort of have you know Rene Russo's queen, you know um, Frigga, and then they she she becomes more than she is in the first film because she doesn't do much in the first film unfortunately and 
she gets to a point you think oh yeah she she's great and then that's it and you think well come on you know you you sort of tease us with these with these great you know you know powerful women characters and then you just leave it and that's that's to me is hugely disappointing and I think that's why this one is kind of not the best well you've got the dark elf Malekith Christopher Eccleston's villain um, the nine realms all aligned for the first time. Um, Loki is somewhat of a, you know, he's not a central figure. I feel like his kind of plot is, you could see as separate to the, the whole Malekith plot. Um, I think he's the most I, interesting one in this, though. I think his kind of storyline is much more interesting than he has. Am I right in saying that Jane Foster's, like, she literally coincidentally... Uh, stump like the ether kind of attaching to her is complete coincidence. Pretty much, as opposed to yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. that's somewhat that's somewhat disappointing as well. Like you know, what are the chances that the one person who is literally Thor's love is the one person the ether attaches itself to? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe or now I'm saying it. Maybe actually that's exactly why it did. But it feels like when you're watching the film that the events that involve Jane Foster and Darcy and uh, Selvi and all that stuff is literally by chance it brings them all back together as opposed to an organic progression of the MCU of the Thor films and that's that's somewhat disappointing when you watch the film and it means that it, it doesn't have as much weight you know what I mean as the others I like um Stel- well, they um I like Stellan Skarsgård in this I think he is great and I like the fact I've um obviously there's been speculation mm. that ha- there's the one scene when he's in the um the asylum and that's what he's writing on the blackboard apparently relates to the quantum realm that might go full circle then we might see that again in endgame so apparently that could be a significant scene whatever he's written on the blackboard there um and i i think he's I think he's good in these. I like his character. I like his um, sort of, you know, um, academic stance of like little things. Um, I think he's he's one of the him and Kat Dennings and even um, Tom Hiddleston. They make this film a lot more watchable than it could be. And don't get me wrong, Chris, you know, Chris Hemsworth is is a brilliant Thor. I just feel that they're the the highlights of this film. What about, um, did you like, the, I mean, I thought that opening fight in uh, Vanaheim was always, it, they, I always think they always start these Thor films off with a really cool fight. Yeah. And that whole, um, perhaps we should start with <laughs> the big one type of thing. And then <laughs> you've got, uh, but that, I, I also thought that there's that kind of big stone monster who seems a bit, a bit like Korg. They're the same species, the <laughs> Cronins. Um, so that so that be answer that question, but yes, that is a cool fight scene. Um, I have to bring this up, but the entrance Storm makes in that fight scene is duplicated, but in a much grander way in Infinity War. Um, uh, well, I can't it wait is. to discuss that movie. Well, I know it's going to be great. Isn't <laughs> it? We're going to spend half an hour just discussing that scene in our Infinity War podcast. It's going to yeah. be amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I really sort of um, the, the the action stuff is mostly pretty good here. Um, although the the spaceship battles seem kind of generic, um, but um, all the sort of you know, Thor centric stuff is really cool. 
um, just like clever touches, like when uh, there's a prison riot in Asgard, he sort of flies off the balcony until it catches his hammer midair. Very, very cool. Um, but yeah, I think the big problem for this movie, this movie for me, is Malekith. He is not a very good villain at all. Um, and you compare him to he's a very forgettable villain. Very forgettable. I mean, you compare him to Loki. Loki is a very, very complex character, as we have discussed mm. in the past, you know, two podcasts or such. Malekith, by comparison, is just a villain in the very simplest sense of the word. He wants power so he can end the world. That is not a lot to grab onto and to really grapple with. Um, and for all of Christopher Eccleston's impressive acting ability, he can't do much with it. I love Adewale Akane Akbaj, um, but his sort of acting ability is also kind of wasted. Um, so yeah, that was disappointing. Also, I mean, I'll, I'm sure you can elaborate on this in uh, in a bit, uh, Sabina, but the Dark Elves, they're not very well designed to put up Mark. Um, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you add all that up and that is easily the weakest link of this movie. I think with the Dark Elves, I always think they had there's something a bit Doctor Who-like about them. You know, it doesn't feel like the scale of Marvel. It seems mm. more like TV, really. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. It, it seems a bit too simplistic. But I, I mean, I think they're a bit spooky and scary. I, I never really had a massive problem with them. I just, I just got those Doctor Who vibes off them rather than Marvel. But you know, that is what it is. Um, what I also thought that Natalie Portman in Asgard uh, is very similar to Natalie Portman <laughs> in Naboo. Uh, and I always, whenever I'm seeing yeah. it, I'm a bit like, is this... She goes a little, bit black, she's a little bit black swan again, as well, <laughs> near the end. So. I disagree with that. I disagree. Mm-hmm. I think I, I, I like Natalie Portman in Asgard. Um, and her um, uh, transportation uh, to Asgard is a special, special moment. Um, for me, it's the best moment in the score. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I like I like um, so Natalie Portman. She's, like, she's appropriately fascinated with Thor's homeworld and you know she's gushing over Odin and the fact that Odin knows who she is and like even even that sort of small beat when Thor introduces her to his mother is a sort of you know very respectful thing and I, I enjoyed those beats. I think she's good. The, the one the one thing I don't like Natalie Portman and Asgard is that you know and and you you mentioned it earlier uh, Sabina if Patty Jenkins had gotten had mm. this there'd be more Sif. Yeah. And and there's a Thor, Sif, Jane, sort of triangle in the comics and in the cartoons to an extent. And this film basically reduces that triangle to a single look. Yes. And it's just like, yeah. why that include bit. that at all if that is all you're going to do with that? Um, which is very frustrating to me. Um, because in many respects as well, I mean, I, I agree with Odin. Odin, you know, is like, you know, Sif is right there. Thor, what you doing? Um, and you know what? <laughs> Odin is right. I'm I'm Team Sif, so I like Sif. Don't worry, we get Lady Sif again in Agents of Shield, and we can talk about that after this. So you know, <laughs> plenty of time for Lady Sif, and of course Chris O'Dowd. Who can? How can we forget? Yes, he's. You could. I I understand what they were trying to do. You know, have him in the film, and he's trying to. I I I don't know. They're trying to sort of give you know make this nice who seems like a very amenable nice man for jane but then come on she's got like god of thunder 
<laughs> the one you got away and it's like you can you can totally can't you know, compete with that see her points you can't come on it's like you know he can be very sweet and nice but you know you're always gonna you know i'm sorry chris o'dowd but yeah. you know it's a bit a lot of competition there and you've got to feel sorry for the guy <laughs> my man <laughs> you know. needs to go to the gym Oh, I mean, when you're competing against a guy who does not skip leg day, arm day, chest day, you know, you got to get yourself in the gym. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Get your protein yeah. shake. <laughs> easy, easy. Um, what? So, and obviously, we have that moment when Loki dies. Mm. Well, okay, so we this think, is. Uh, you know? I, I have thoughts on this subject. Okay, <sighs> talk to us. See, this is one one of the reasons I'm looking forward to Endgame is because of the finality it's going to bring to the MCU, because the MCU has long had a problem of characters looking like they're dead and then being brought back from the dead. Um, and it's happened numerous times, and this is one such film in which that happens. You think it's a powerful... Well, it's, it's a powerful moment the first time you watch it, but then by the end of the film, everything is retconned again and Loki's alive and it's just like, it's frustrating because, you know, when people talk about uh, the lack of states in the MCU, it's issues like this which they point towards and you can't really argue the fact. Um, so yeah, as much as I like Loki as a character, as much as there are still good lo good sort of Loki-ness to come, uh, we've even now, even though Loki is, you know, after Infinity War, uh, inverted commas, dead, um, it looks like we're going to get more Loki and sort of, you know, the on Disney Plus. So, yeah, this was um, a frustrating development for me. Also, on this point, um, Thor, obviously, when Loki dies, he's, you know, it's a powerful reaction. Not two scenes later, he's sort of cracking jokes in a way, and like, you know, it's, it's a funny beat in that, you know, he's hanging up Mjolnir on the hangar. But again, I have a problem with MCU heroes quipping and joking after they've just suffered something which is quite serious. And I think this is another instance of that. I would have, I would, I would, it would have been more sort of true to what is going on in the, in the film if Thor had remained slightly pissed off from that point, uh, rather than cracking jokes. That's just me. Yeah, no, I, and I think, but I think what's what's somewhat worse about this is that when Loki does die here, there's an arc mm. which is finished. You know what I mean? He has fulfilled his purpose. You know what I mean? There's three films he's been in, and he, it kind of works. Um, and I remember watching it, feeling like, oh, that is that is a shame, but I guess that that's, that's mm. what has to happen. So I think at this stage, you can't get. I know I didn't feel too angry about it. If anything, it's the moment at the end where it's like, oh, he's still mm -hmm. alive. And that's the bit where I'm a bit like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. Like it didn't, because it doesn't feel earned and it doesn't feel like they've pulled the wool over our eyes or anything. It's literally just, no, no, that was rubbish. You know, and I, don't, that, that, I think that's where I'm, my issue with it, it uh, doesn't work. I think it's set up quite early on, though, that he is, you know, he's just, he is a, he is the god of mischief, as we've said before, and, and nothing that is expected of him happens and he kind of has his own agenda that he's is just gonna fool everyone he's a trickster and they've said all yeah. you know he is a trickster um 
I like that line. We'll get to it eventually. It's like in Infinity War when um, Thor says, well, he's been dead before. Mm. <laughs> I think this time it might stick. Mm. And I just think it was a nice touch because it's like, yeah, okay, this happened. This has happened before and it's going to probably happen again. But okay, this time feels more finite. Um, so I, I, kind of, I think at this point we we expect Loki to keep dying and keep coming back because um, we've seen what he can do. We know that he he has a you know he he's an illusionist. Um, he can you know he manipulates situations. I'm so, not. I'm not. Say, I'm not saying it's not quote, yeah, quote, possible in the MCU. It is what it is. I think I with Loki though. I think with Loki though, it's it's different to someone like Tony Stark, who's you know Pepper's. Uh, when we were talking last time about Pepper, you know, and then he's quipping afterwards. Um, but obviously, you talk about Norse, you know, mythological gods here, and they, they, you know, they, they, it's like mortal rules don't apply. They're just gonna kind of, they have their own. It's mythology. It's mythology in the current world. But equally, the end of it, I think, it undercuts the end of it having this somewhat what feels at the time anyway. I, I guess the fact that Loki has such a role in the films mm. as this point forward it is what it is but like at the time you know ending where it does you know brings up more questions than it really answers number one is odin dead like is he dead like we don't know because you know at that point within did did loki kill we don't know um Mm. and obviously you have that whole moving speech that odin says to thor before revealing that it's actually loki which then undermines obviously oh okay so that's irrelevant and meant nothing um and then you've got the whole how Loki survived in the first place. Like, we just have to go, like you said, oh, he's a god of mischief. Oh, he can do that, and that's that. And it's kind of like, it's, don't get me wrong, it, you, they can, they can, they have done it, and it, and it's fine and whatever, but there is something which just feels a bit kind of like it's tacked on rather than thought through. I mean, it's you comic know? books, isn't it? No one stays dead apart from like, Uncle Ben mm. and <laughs> maybe a couple of other people. I mean, these, these characters will keep. Um, regenerating and I think there's a sort of um, creative license that they will yeah well I'd have rather just had the kind of um, you'd just rather have Loki dead yeah no 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 (laughs) I'd I'd rather have them 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 kind of reveal him not being dead in the next situation where he's alive rather than undermine and kind of have this kind of messy end to a film which the arc it worked mm-hmm. structurally, narratively. It, it worked with him dying where he died. It worked with Odin saying that speech to Thor at the end and it meaning that. Like, that arc worked. And suddenly, him not being dead suddenly throws all that into question. And, uh, you know, then we're like, oh, okay. Not to mention, like, how the film ends and then you have this weird situation where, you know, they're like, okay, and that's the end. And then and he's never going to see Jane Foster again. And then at the end of the credits... He comes back and you're like, surely that should be in the movie because that literally changes the entire narrative for Jane Foster. You know what I mean? Um, That she's not without him at the end and she's with him, which is what she wants, you know. And yet then again, we never see her again. So I guess they're not together. So I don't know. But she's she's alluded to, isn't she, though, in um, in in the next one? Was it in Ragnarok or, um, or Infinity War? She is alluded to. Or not. I just, look, mm-hmm. I know I'm just saying those two things okay. are things which they've added into the film that I don't feel uh, 
fit the film. Yet they obviously are there because they have to be there because they need Loki in another film and they probably don't want the Jane Foster Thor love to be over. That if, if they can get Natalie Portman back, it seems like she won't come back. But you know, what I mean, I like they, at the I, time they probably yeah. wanted that to be an option, and therefore they have these scenes in. But I don't think, I think, I think they actually confuse the situation rather than clarify it. Mm. It's, it's it's it is all over the place. This film it is very much all that. It doesn't have it. So it doesn't have a clear agenda. It doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't set in place what it wants, where it wants the next one to go, and that's why um, I think um, obviously Ragnarok just kind of, you know, trounced out, stomped all over it in terms of that because it was very clear in setting up um, future possibilities, and and even the first Thor um, did did that very well as well. Yeah, this one, this one is just it's just mess. It's sorry to say, but it is messy. Right, shall we get into uh, costumes? Because we've got Wendy Partridge here, who worked on the 2004 Hellboy, Pompeii, Conan the Barbarian. It feels like we're in very similar territory, really, with Thor The Dark World. She kind of knows how to do this. Yeah, she she's very good. And, and also, um, she was very clear um, in, like, when I was looking at her and trying to sort of see anything I could find on, on her work for this film. Um, she had like a very clear idea of what she wanted to do um, with every character. And she said she was she had a lot of fun with Selvig um, because she could... He wasn't wearing clothes. He wasn't wearing clothes, but like, you know, when um, he's got a cardigan on and, and it kind of, he dresses like an academic freelancer and in many <laughs> respects. And, you know, I, you know and, and she said, you know, they had a lot of fun and he was very game for anything. And just that kind of inner, mad, inner madness, like when you, you're trying to to work through your thoughts and you've got that, you know, kind of um, quirky side. Um, he's a very quirky character and a very fun character. Um, she said she wanted Jane, you know, Jane Foster. Obviously, she's in Asgard, so she's not wearing um, her kind of... Um, she, she calls it um, nerdy scientific um, clothes, like, norm, you know, clothes in the, in the everyday world. So... Um, she could put her in like in gowns and make her look more like an Asgardian. Um, Sif is more battle ready in this one, which is nice. She's kind of like a, a similar but not completely version of Wonder Woman in some of that respect. There's a similarity, um, not totally, but you can sort of see a, a little connection there. But I think um, Loki's costume is is very interesting in this one because this is the first time um, you see. Is it the first time you see Loki with the horns? No, we see Loki with the horns in the first one. No, 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 and also, it's certain things to do like his his shoulders. If you remember in the first one, he he seemed kind of even though he didn't act like it, his clothes were sort of a little boy lost in, in that respect. Compared to this time, when he's got broader shoulders, it just emphasizes this um, dominance that he has. And I think. Um, his his clothing is used very much um it fits him better and i think he's a much more confident character in this one um he just has a more of a foreboding um air about him and, and especially i think the the um 
the the jacket seems heavier and I think that adds to the the villainous of him also you've got to remember at this time it was it was when Marvel kind of confirmed that Loki was um, genderqueer and bisexual. Do you remember? Do you remember when that was announced? Well, I think um, just having a quick gander online, you know, in the comics, it, it's that that's the, that's very clearly the case. Um, but in terms of the MCU, it hasn't been openly established. There is a petition, but it, I, I think it's akin to um, what's his name, Dumbledore in uh, the Harry Potter films, like how apparently he's gay, but we haven't re- they haven't been very explicit about that um, e- in the films. Even in Grindelwald, you know, you know, they didn't explicit. And I think it's a similar situation that I don't necessarily, I mean, it may be true, but it would be nice for clarification on that uh, in terms of representation, like as opposed to this kind of potentially token gesture of it. But then again, I can imagine like you, as you're talking in the context of the costume design, they can do that, can't they? So that's great. In in clothing kind of theory, you have like masculine clothing and you know feminine clothing. If you you look at certain things, and um, there are certain um, there are certain formulas. Like this is like going off completely off tangent, but um, and you see even Loki isn't constricted especially because he's a shapeshifter and because at one point when he's fooling around with Thor and he's like well I could be anyone you want me to be and then he turns himself into Sif yeah there is a difference with his costume in this one and there's a fluidness to it if that makes sense you can kind of see what they're trying to do with him Let's get into the score now and Brian Tyler who worked on Iron Man 3 is back for Thor The Dark World um Amon, what about what about Brian Tyler's score this time? He knocked it out of the park again. Uh, <laughs> Brian Tyler, that boy knows what he's doing. Um, yeah, it's a really really strong score again, um, and uh, I really like the the main theme, uh, which is uh, really sort of powerful and um, yeah, very catchy too, um, and just feels right for the character. Um, so yeah, it's it's really it's really impressive work. Uh, there's a number of tracks which um, I uh, listen to again and again and again. Um, obviously, the main theme for the Dark World, but uh, Asgard it's a brilliant track which which we don't really hear much of in the film, sadly. But it's really really good. Um, Into Eternity, which plays when um, uh, Frigga. Uh, is having the Asgardian funeral, which is a very beautiful scene, which we really haven't talked much about. Um, but, um, yeah, the music really makes uh, that sequence. Um, it's, it's it's really impressive. Uh, Journey to Asgard might be my favourite track because it's the main theme, but it's even more sort of, you know, energetic and powerful. It plays when uh, Thor is taking Jane to Asgard. And honestly, it's better to listen to that track on its own than in the film because in the film... It's not as powerful as it could be um, because because of the mix. Um, but if you listen to that track on its own, you bump it up to full volume. It is special because um, it, it cuts out for a second and it comes back in, and it's just yeah, I love it. Um, I, I I played it full full volume. Sorry, sorry, Watford neighbors. But, but what, why am I apologizing? I'm giving you I'm giving you amazing <laughs> music. I should I should be saying you're welcome, Watford. Um, but um. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, that's my favourite track on this. It's a really, really strong score. Um, and yeah, it was the last one that he did by himself. I think he did Age of Ultron as well, but that was with uh, Danny Elfman and a couple of others. Um, but yeah, Brian Tyler, his, his stint in the MCU was, was pretty pretty impressive. Wow. Well, I mean, we get to our final thoughts now on Thor The Dark World. I'd just like to say it's always great to see London on the old cinema screen. I've been to Greenwich a few times. And I've seen, uh, I've seen. It's nice to walk around Greenwich and know that it's all still intact. The uh, destruction hasn't damaged the naval buildings, so. Uh, but that's always good. And, and that beautiful uh, library, yeah, yeah oh when the windows. Oh, but it's pretty, yeah. uh, pretty, pretty damn frustrating when somebody gets on at Charing Cross and he's told that Greenwich is like two stops away. To clarify, <laughs> to get to Greenwich from Charing Cross, you need to go down to Waterloo and switch onto the Jubilee Line and then head out for about. We're talking about seven stops here to Greenwich. So, I mean, that's a good, that's good to have like 20, 25 minute commute there, just to clarify for your sake, Thor, uh, if not for mine. Uh, any last thoughts from anybody else? By Chris Hemsworth's yeah. own admission, Thor The Dark World is meh. Oh. As you said, there were some nice moments. I like, I like the bit, I like Darcy. I like the bit when Thor is in London and he puts the hammer. He hangs up his hammer on the coat hook in in the apart in the flat. Yeah, I like that bit. I think that's very funny. I think that's very nice. Um, yeah, it's it's got some nice moments. It just doesn't gel as a film um, cohesively very well. It's yeah, it's it's probably it's the weakest of the three Thor films. Well, I, I think the 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 thing is with Thor is that like like I've said before, he's my favorite character. So I I always like seeing him and seeing Loki and seeing the world and all that kind of stuff in the Thor world. Um, but I think when you watch, like I think Thor works because it has these kind of two stories simultaneously playing out uh, with, with the kind of future stuff and the uh, the Asgard stuff and or, or, the, or the current day stuff and the Asgard stuff at the same time. And I think that that fish out of water thing is fun and all that kind of thing. When And I think with obviously Thor Ragnarok, it's just like, it's wild. Uh, I think they probably just didn't know, like, do we, they would, they just didn't know how to kind of carry this. Um, but I think when we get to Thor Ragnarok, they, they, they work it out. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely something which I, before now I've put, I've always liked a lot, but um, yeah, didn't, it's not as memorable, definitely wasn't as memorable on this latest watch. Okay. Um, that's Thor The Dark World. Um, but of course, straight after the events of Thor The Dark World, the S.H.I.E.L.D. team descended on Greenwich to sort out some stuff. So we're going to talk about that straight after. Right then. Um, obviously, S.H.I.E.L.D. is all up in action. We discussed in the last episode how Iron Man 3 and the extremist plotline seemed to continue in S.H.I.E.L.D., but S.H.I.E.L.D. seemed pretty... Pretty dull, I felt, for the first seven episodes. I'm happy to say that the next chunk of uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes are the episodes 8 to 15. Uh, Episode 8 taking place immediately after Thor The Dark World and episode 15 taking place just before The Winter Soldier. Um, They do get better. Um, And and these particular episodes, even from the get-go, I feel like they improve. Um, Amon, did you feel at this stage there was definitely some a change in quality? A little bit, a little bit. Uh, I do think, as I mentioned, the, the, the episodes get better as they go along. Um, start to 
see more nuances in uh, these, all of these characters. Um, uh, I think especially the, the person who benefits the most from this is probably going to be Grant Ward, um, because he, you know, out of all the characters, he sort of was the blandest by far. Um, but mm. by the end of season one, he's one of the more he's one of the most interesting, um, and the changes and the improvement in that character um, sort of starts to really uh, be displayed in this chunk of episodes. Yeah, and I think what's kind of interesting there's obviously Melinda May, who is like a kind of uh, you know fighting specialist operate or, or, or agent you know so she's not necessarily uh like Fitzsimmons a sciencey person and uh Ward is kind of like it's kind of James Bond kind of character in in terms of being an agent and being a bit of a fighter and they start a relationship which I didn't expect I thought that was a very interesting twist because of course Sky who has been our lead kind of kind of the lead character outside of maybe Coulson who drives the progression of of the story she is obviously clearly set up as a kind of like her and Ward, this kind of romantic thing. So it was kind of, I thought it was quite a nice change that he didn't get with Sky. I th- I kind of thought, thought that was going to happen very quickly, but it, 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 I was thankful it didn't. Yeah. And it's obviously, it's all building towards Winter Soldier, which kind of busts it all out of the open, really. And I think a lot of these episodes are, as we said before, are gearing up. And I think in these episodes as well, um, in the first seven episodes, like I said, you have these kind of independent uh, stories involving these kind of characters who've got these special superhero powers in some cases, or they've been uh, kind of experimented on in some way. Um, Whereas in the next chunk here, you start seeing uh, characters or those plots all kind of coming together. And that actually it's all kind of one major plot. Um, and I think like the Thor beginning, it's great because the characters, the agents of shield in the eighth episode are in Greenwich, you know, clearing up after the yeah. mess of Thor, the dark world, which is great. And then you have a whole episode in, uh, about this Asgardian on the planet earth. And the fact that this Asgardian has been around the earth for, you know, hundreds, thousands of years, um, which is just, it's a great way to kind of feed in these uh, different uh, kind of characteristics of you know the MCU, um, and that's a lot of fun. You see, you see Bucky Barnes on the Wall of Valor in the uh, Shields kind of base, which is quite cool. Yeah, I like cool. seeing that, and I do particularly like that. Uh, I think it's Coulson saying to somebody in anger, "You know, what I mean, I'll have you guarding Blonsky's cryo cell," uh-huh. and I'm like, "Blonsky, he's still out there." He's still in that cryo cell somewhere mm-hmm. on planet Earth. That is exciting. The idea of Tim Roth coming back as the Abomination, giving more weight to the Incredible Hulk film. Oh, yeah. And, all- and coming, I mean, I'm all for yeah. him coming back. I'd love Blonky to just turn up randomly. That'd you be never great. know. Endgame? I'd be very surprised. <laughs> What's um, a play for? On, on the multiple next levels, shield, I'd be very know. surprised. Um, because, you know, I mean, Blonsky didn't look very good in the film to begin with. <laughs> But they wouldn't have that sort of CGI budget to work with on a TV show, uh, so he'd probably look even worse. Yeah, uh, were they to bring him back? So, yeah, just on that level, I'd be very surprised yeah, if Blonsky made a return. Um, there are a few characters who start to a character called Deathlock, yeah. uh, and a character as Guardian Seductress uh, called Lorelai. Do we know anything about them from the comics? Do we know like how are they great characters or are they very much? They're very minor much characters. minor characters. Um, 
So uh, yeah, even my knowledge of them is limited, uh, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I liked them well enough uh, on the on the show. Um, their their appearances were fun, a little bit forgettable. Um, Marvel are really good at uh, Easter eggs, and Agents of Shield is another really good medium for them to really show that that breadth in the catalog um, and put that on screen. Uh, so yeah, it's always fun to see cats pop like that pop up. Oh, it's okay. it, was, it was to just like reiterate what you said really about the the first sort of um, third of this series felt like you, they were just establishing the characters a bit like they've done in the in with the first film of each um, you know like the first Iron Man film or the first Thor film or the first Captain America film and then they kind of integrated them all as a unit and then. Um, it, this is when, like, obviously, we start to see the crossovers and the Easter eggs and all the little touches that make it part of this bigger universe, and not just a show that is tacked onto the side of these films. A show that kind of it can work in with these films. They feed back and forth into one another. What is quite good about this Lorelai uh, Asgardian uh, kind of episode? is not only does Lady Sif turn up as somewhat of a large role in this one episode, so Lady Sif fans out there, she is in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and that's nice to see, um, but also you get a great, um, you know, the, the reason Lorelai is on planet Earth is because of when the cells were broken into in Thor the Dark World, and then consequently um, Lorelai was released, and used what was it Loki's secret pathways, as as they put it, to get to planet Earth. So the events of the Dark World literally is why she's there. So it's a nice kind of way to tie these things together and justify these kind of weird happenings uh, in, in the MCU. It's also worth pointing out at this stage how Phil Coulson not being dead is the major plot of the entire first series. So throughout all of this. The question is, how did he survive? Why did he survive? What is the reason for it? And you get a episode, I think it is maybe the, uh, you know, towards the end, I think the 15th, maybe the 14th episode, something like that. And Bill Paxton turns up with his own S.H.I.E.L.D. team and they go to this place to find out how Phil Coulson was still alive. And it's quite, you know, it's quite exciting to see that because it turns out he was kept alive by some alien juice. So... no alien i've recognized (laughs) but you know some alien juice team to do the job um and this elon musk like character quinn you know the venture capitalist is somehow involved and you know it's crazy um but there's one episode which is like a train episode which is crazy they kind of it's all told in non-linear fashion and they jump between different storylines to explain it And I just love that episode. But the point being is that it was just told so well and it was a lot of fun. And I think, again, I think there's just a little bit more comfortability in comfort, really, in the roles that they have and in in how the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. can not just... It sets up these cliches um, in the very first seven episodes, which I hate. Uh, But then they start playing with it and then they start kind of turning them on their head and making one character you know, more interesting for one reason or another. And and I think you mentioned the last episode I'm on about May and how in the first seven episodes, she's very much a kind of closed book. You know, uh, she's like, keeps to herself and she's quiet and we don't know her history and do, 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 do. 
Whereas in the next few episodes, that starts, you start getting a better sense of what's happened there. And obviously her relationship with Ward is interesting as well. And yeah, and, and so it kind of, you know, basically Ward and May, you know, they, they kind of struggle with the violence that they have to inflict in their role. Uh, and and they do that by drinking, um, but at the same time, they find each other comfort in each other. And that's quite a challenging thing uh, without with, without it being inaccessible. It's an interesting development of, of something where normally these people are just heroes and really good at fighting. That it's it's a bit more complex, and that's nice. Uh, and as you, you've been saying, that certain... certain um films that they don't um there's not much gravity to them but in this in in this episode you start to see a bit more of a uh, a gravity and a, a seriousness to the character that hasn't been explored still before. a bit weird the politics at some point they seem a bit too flippant yeah. mm. a, bit, a bit too flippant about the death penalty um you know you have no right mm-hmm. you have no lawyer is at one point seen as a good thing i'm pretty sure that's against human rights <laughs> there uh, but you know She'll can do whatever they want, can't they? You know, if you're bad, they're just going to kill you. Uh, so. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, either way, and then when we, when we get towards the end of this particular bunch, you know, people are saying, I can't get in touch with Nick Fury. And Agent Sitwell turns up at one point in a car, somewhat suspicious, suspiciously talking to Coulson. And we're like, <laughs> what's going on with Sitwell? Where's Nick Fury? And then we all went to see Captain America Winter Soldier. And that's where yeah. we're going to get to next. But before we do that... We are going to rank uh, for the Dark World now. Okay, I feel like it's been a bit of a muted episode with our discussion of uh, Thor the Dark World, but we got to rank it, we got to put it somewhere. Sabina, go on, Thor the Dark World. I think I'm going to put it below Iron Man 2. That is harsh on Hulk, if I'm you perfectly think? honest. But, yeah, uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah. I there are bits I like, but I think I'll put it, yeah, I think it goes there. Okay, fair enough. That's, uh, it's pretty pretty mm. low down on your list, but I, that... It's felt yeah. like that was going to happen. Amon, what about you? Sabina, this is rare for me, so enjoy this. <clears throat> Sabina is 100% correct. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, currently the second worst movie in the MCU, uh, so that will make my ranking from the bottom to the top. The Incredible Hulk, mm. Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3, Captain America First Avenger, Thor, Iron Man Avengers Assemble. I I've actually been. <laughs> You're very... going to put this top. Huh? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm normally very kind to Thor: The Dark World because I do like Thor a lot, and I don't. But I feel like just preparing for the podcast and then speaking for it. I mean, like I watched it like a week ago or something, not long, and I could barely remember the plot, and I had to. Yeah. You know, so it just says how forgettable it is. Um. So I'm kind of looking at my list like, you know, which one do I prefer? Like Iron Man 2 or Thor The Dark World? And I'm I'm somewhat conflicted. Um, you, you, can't between, you can't choose between Iron Man 2 or Thor The Dark World. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, a, okay. No, I, I honestly don't know. Um, I know I, you love Thor, but... I like okay. Whiplash a lot, you know what I mean, in, in Iron Man 2. Um, and ultimately, you know, for what it's worth, you know, all the films up until now are very... 
you know, are always enjoyable and competent and, and you know, and really and well made. But Thor, the Dark World, feels a little off. So, oh, okay, I'm going to say Thor, the Dark World in the last position after Iron Man 2. So it's literally Ooh. my worst film so far, which feels a bit harsh on the older Thor. But I think if I'm going to rewatch How the film... How dare you strike the son of Odin? <laughs> I, know, I feel bad because I do like... I, Thor remains my favourite Avenger. I don't hold it really against him. Um Ah, uh, you know, but I think that that's where it's got to be. I think if I think about Iron Man 2, there's a lot of cool bits in it, which I like. Um, and uh, yet, Thor The Dark World, it's difficult to find them, despite being in London, which I, which I do love. Um, but okay. so that's your only, the only thing you like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. And that, that, that's where we're going right to rank then. it. So that's eight films so far, and we've got um, Captain America Winter Soldier to add next week. And that wraps up our our London episode for the Dark World and the Shield episodes. Um, you can obviously find us on Twitter at Marvel Wrap, uh, where, like I said, lots of fun things going down. It's always fun to kind of uh, talk to people who are listening to the show. You can find me at Screen Insights. Um, our Lady Sif herself, Lady Sabina, where can they find you? I'm at Twitter at Sabina Stend. Um, you can tweet me there or you can tweet me at the Marvel Wrap. It's either me or Simon that usually has that handle um yeah and just tweet us funny gifts and nice comments yeah nothing bad we don't want any like aggro <laughs> <laughs> um and I, I was going to try and do Odin but Ammon but I think Odin with the word name Ammon would just be Ammon so <laughs> King Ammon I guess <laughs> where, where can people find you uh, you can journey through the Bifrost to the realm called Twitter Guide. <laughs> Easy. And... <laughs> the Rainbow and... Road. <laughs> the Rainbow Road. And you can find me uh, at a woman. Uh, you can find all my work from there. Okay. Thank you very much. Remember, as usual, if you listen a little bit longer, you may hear some extra talk about the end game. But uh, other than that, we're out of here. Thank you very much. six stones I could simply snap my fingers they would all cease to exist I call that mercy and we're back again um, very briefly to talk end game info uh, but this is going to be a little different this time because we're actually going to be talking about the Oscars which have been announced and the uh, you know unprecedented uh, you know, amount of nominations the Black Panther film has received. The first MCU film to be nominated uh, for Best Picture. Amon, can you tell us a bit more, few more details on this? Yeah, I mean, it's not only the first MCU film, it's the first superhero film, period. Man. Um, wow. Which is monumental on so many different levels um, because the Academy has long had genre bias. Um, to not only superhero films but uh, uh, horror films as well, and sort of uh, and comedy films. Um, so for Black Panther to be the one to break through the black superhero movie um, is special um, 
and history making on a, um, a monumental level. Um, mm. And uh, it's very well, very well deserved um, without sort of getting into it too much because we're going to have to dedicate an entire episode uh, to Black Panther in the coming weeks. Um, you know, it's very deserved. And the, and the amount of nominations we've seen, not just Best Picture, you go down the list, Best Divisional Score by Ludwig Goranson, very well deserved uh, to the point where, you know, you hear that theme and two months later, Infinity War comes out and you hear that theme in Infinity War and it's one of the biggest audience moments in the film because people are getting excited. Before they see a frame of Wakanda, people are getting excited because of drumming. That's how special that score was. Um, mm. uh, the best original song, All the Stars by Kendrick Lamar and uh, SZA, um, which is a fantastic track. Um, you know, as soon as everyone heard it, long before the film came out, everyone was already bopping to it. Um, and uh, I don't like the fact that the Oscars are holding, um, are, are not allowing sort of all the original song, uh, all the original song nominees to be performed. But thankfully, uh, this one is one of the ones which they are allowing to be performed on the telecast. And why wouldn't they? It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic song. Um, and that entire album itself is, is great too. I highly recommend seeking it out. Uh, the costume design by Ruthie Carter has been nominated as well. Phenomenal, and, phenomenal. And, that I would have I mean, gone, well, yeah. Yeah, Sabina, I'll, I'll just take this <laughs> one. Because, yeah. No, it was just absolutely her work for that film is, I mean, if she hadn't been nominated, there would have been uh, a mass kind of uproar. Um, uproar. She didn't get nominated by BAFTA, which was absolutely insane. appalling and insane yeah. to overlook her work um the what she did with with the characters with the role with the the costumes um she wanted to like tell stories through the costumes and i think one of i think this is one of the the um best examples in the marvel films where the costumes speak for themselves um there was like 1500 costumes for the project um and she she had you know she really went deep she um you know early conversation she talked about in interviews um the conversation was about afro and futurism and what you know the the people working on the film and how their lives fit into the um the whole um diaspora um so you know they they the work on the costume it wasn't just about you know making costumes there was so much that each each costume there was there was like a history in the costumes in themselves if that makes sense you could just have a film on the costumes um yeah what she did was incredible and I just think um I just hope she wins every single award that is thrown her way because she deserves it and I mean we always talk about these um these films having amazing costumes but i think in the case of black panther the work was just astonishing and it was some of the best work not just in marvel films but in film um costume and in recent films that i've seen i think absolutely incredible absolutely and then uh production design i mean yes just hannah beachler is just incredible you just think just you know for me, one of the most special moments watching this film for the first time, and even the second and third time, when you first see Wakanda revealed in all its glory, it's a special, special moment. And that is not only due to the dialogue, it's not only due to the incredible music. I think that's the first time you really hear that um, 
Wakanda fanfare, blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, but the production design is incredible and it's so detailed to the point where if you actually go back and watch Black Panther, you look at the um, the Royal Talon Fighter, which is the, the king's um, plane, um, and you look at the uh, um, the back of the plane, the, the afterburners, those are actually Wakandan symbols um, on the back of the plane. If you go back and watch it, it's that detailed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that nomination is also very well deserved. So, um, yeah, I, I wish it all the success in the world um, in when it comes to the Oscars, which is in about a month. Um, I'm in a, month, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking at a website called nextbestpicture.com, uh, which I talk, wrote a post in April about the MCU and the Marvel Cinematic Universe's history with the Academy Awards. And, you know, you think about visual effects, um, you know, it, out of, of the 17 films released before, obviously, 2018, eight scored nominations for best visual effects. Iron Man, Iron Man 2, Avengers, Iron Man 3, you know, Captain America, there's a few others. But, you know, a bunch of films. But it lost out, uh, for the most part, to other what would be determined higher caliber films. So curious case of Benjamin Button, Iron Man lost to, or Life of Pi, The Avengers lost out to, or Gravity, Iron Man 3. I mean, in fairness, you know, some of these, you're thinking, oh, well, I guess that's that's fair and whatnot in, in some cases. But it is weird that for Marvel, which special effects is crucial to their films, you know, I mean, struggle to get these awards even then. So we're talking about, yes, best picture, uh, you know, for Marvel is is obviously incredible, but it's fascinating to see how other categories, how it struggled to be able to kind of even get those, take those ones home, you know? Um then again, Suicide Squad got makeup and hairstyling, didn't it? Last but the makeup year? was and so. the, the the costumes. The costumes were the best thing about Suicide Squad, and we we said that one of the the cost um, costume design for Suicide Squad had worked on. I can't remember if it was on the Marvel films. Um, we talked about the design a couple of weeks ago, and I said that was the best thing about the film was their work on it. Um, yeah. because but, I mean, about, about, the story was just flat. The costumes were the best thing. Yeah, but either way, the point being is that, you know, makeup and hairstyling, you think again of Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy, these kind of fantasy worlds, they have to build it up from scratch. Guardians of the Galaxy is the is one of the few superhero films to score a nomination for its makeup. I'm quoting this from nextbestpicture.com. Joining Batman Returns, The Dark Knight, Hellboy 2, and the eventual winner, which was Suicide Squad. So it's just kind of, kind of fascinating that even on categories where uh, comic book films almost would be ideally suited and you know i mean don't get me wrong i i i'm very much of, of of the mindset that dark knight should have been nominated and so on and so forth but um even in categories where it's like of course these films should be up for them even then they struggle to get awards recognition um so this year uh with black panther you know i mean it's so big in that respect that you know comic book films are getting the uh, credibility to some extent that that you know in some it should it, they should have been getting you know way back with Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy you know uh and others I just think it was a case of what you just the the impact this film had when it was released was extraordinary I, I don't I can't remember ever you know experiencing something this you know with with everyone was talking about Black Panther in a way that I'd never seen before um and it sort of it went beyond being a superhero film um and also the fact that 
they there was that reluctance to award it. Do you remember? And there was going to be a most popular Oscar category that oh, people were talking about as the only way that this film could be awarded. And the outcry was that, hang on a sec, you need to look beyond this being a superhero film. You need to look at it as a film in itself. Um, you can't... And it just, it seemed to defy boundaries. And I think people had a lot, I think a lot of people who don't like superhero films, they had a hard time accepting that they liked this film and they could see how technically um, brilliant it was and how um, just the sheer genius of, of this film. And I, I just think, you know, there's always that stigma, you can't award these films. And just the the um, backlash against this this new Oscar category that was somehow the only way you could reward these ones. And they were like, okay, we were just, we just, um, it was it was a thought, we, we're not going to go for it after all. And it was like, no, because you need to take these films, something like Black Panther, and you need to take it as it is and not just about, you know, superheroes, not just about comic books. It go, it's, it's bigger than that. It's you know it's one that it was quite rightly voted one of the best films of last year, and I think the conversations around this film is are only going to continue, and it just broke the mold in so many ways, and I just hope it 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 does achieve glory on the night. And okay, I haven't I haven't seen every film it's up against, but I just hope it is rewarded sufficiently. And that's my. That's my two cents. Okay, well, that's our um, Oscars special, as it were. Um, so we will be back very soon with the next episode on Captain America, the Winter Soldier. <laughs>